welcome is indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richie, gonna be with you. We have a lot of ground to cover today. Wasni Lombre, TYT contributor extraordinaire, among many other things on the program today, breaking down news of the day. And in the bullpen, we have Victoria Churchill, should be an interesting debate. Top story of the day, David Axelrod basically doubles down on his proclamation that Biden may need to not run for reelection. And he doesn't care if you call him, as he puts it, a prick. Here it is. So, former chief architect of the Obama White House, David Axelrod, former senior advisor, said he thinks President Biden has a quote 50-50 shot of winning in the 2024 election and that the current president faces the risky bet of trying to quote cheat nature. Axelrod told the New York Times, uh, Maureen Dowd in an interview, uh, quote, I think he has a 50-50 a shot here, but uh, no better than that, maybe a little worse. He thinks he can cheat nature here and it's really risky. They've got a real problem if they're counting on Trump to win it for them. I remember Hillary doing that too. Let's talk about some of the context that's not mentioned. Once again, David Axelrod, still very much so part of the Democratic establishment, Democratic Party establishment, which means he does not make a public proclamation without getting at least approval or the wink and nod from the gatekeepers of the Democratic Party. Well, the gatekeepers, well, you can definitely count President, former President Barack Obama among them, okay? Because if David Axelrod does this, Biden calls Obama and says, Obama, why is your guy coming after me? Well, remember, David Axelrod still very much so involved, not only in his political breakdown as it relates to his job, but also his connections to people inside of the party. So he has permission from individuals inside of the, of the DNC, either proper or DNC de facto, to do exactly what he's doing, to be that person. I would expect President Obama may actually say something on record as well very soon. But here's the part that we all know. No one voted for Biden first time because they were excited about Biden. And if you say you voted for Biden because you were excited about a Biden presidency, uh, you're a liar. We were excited about making sure Donald Trump was not a second term president. That's the reason most voted for Biden. Democrats polled at over 60% saying, hey, we prefer somebody else. That was first term. Now it's even higher. But in a head to head matchup, clearly, clearly, everyone sided on the Democratic side with Biden. Independents sided with Biden. Young people sided with Biden. Those numbers are dramatically different today, giving rise to Axelrod and let's just say the approval of the Democratic establishment for saying this may not be a go here. And also, the lack of surrogates campaigning on behalf of Biden. 
Where are they? Do they exist? Have you heard from them? Are they being booked? There's more. Um, the column defends Axelrod opening with a declaration from Dow that he is, quote, not a prick. And noted that Axelrod has said Biden was a great vice president and did wonderful things as president. Axelrod earlier this month suggested that Biden needs to decide if it's still wise to run. Following a recent poll showing Biden trailing former President Trump in key swing states. Now, Axelrod is not looking at popular vote. He can't. All right. He's looking directly at how the Electoral College equates to a victory or loss, which is the way presidential campaigns are won and lost. I don't care about them thinking I'm a prick, he says. That's fine. Axelrod told Dow, quote, I hope they don't think the polls are wrong because they're not. Dow's column was published Saturday, two days before Biden turned 81. She argues that Biden has a healthy ego, thinks that he doesn't get the credit he thinks he deserves for his accomplishments and has fought for the presidency all his life. Uh, here's the disturbing trend. Overall, this is the handling of the Israel Hamas war. And again, it kind of measures overall up with Biden's foreign policy approval. But look at this. Among the oldest group of voters, 65 mm. plus, there's a majority who approve of how Biden is handling this. That's plus 12. Look at the youngest group of voters. 20 approve, 70% disapprove. He is 50 points underwater with the youngest group of voters. That is a 62-point net swing between youngest and oldest on this topic of Israel and Hamas. And it's a critical group of voters that he needs in order to win re-election, that's for sure. It's critical for Democrats in particular to win a national election by way of having excitement. The youth vote trending. He doesn't have that. His mishandling of the conflict has created significant anchoring of his political messaging domestically. But if he would like to die on this particular hill, then politically, it is exactly what he has brought upon himself. But the reality is this, the office of the presidency sets policies that permeate beyond the man and beyond the institution. It impacts people, bad policy kills, good policy gives life. It is bigger than any one person, or at least it should be. And to those who are in the Democratic establishment, hiding behind their silence, knowing good and damn well they need to say something publicly, because I'm sure you've said it privately to President Biden, hiding behind Axelrod, allowing him to be your mouthpiece, say something publicly, because it's bigger than you too. All right, wise thoughts here. Yeah, this has been a trend going on for months now. And as you so astutely pointed out, Dr. Richie, it's not as if this guy <laughs> had the, the hugest amount of enthusiasm coming into his nomination back in 2020. Uh, it was kind of, a, all right, I guess we're going to run with this guy because everybody seems to hate Trump. Um, I think some of the things that you've seen over the course of time with people like Gavin Newsom uh, essentially announcing to the world that he wants to run for president. Uh, for example, there's absolutely no reason for this dude to be debating Ron DeSantis on TV, but to get his name out there and to show potential voters that he could be a viable candidate, right? And these stories 
via proxies like David Axelrod here. And, you know, places like Politico, where they just get these D.C. and Democratic Party insiders to trash Biden anonymously. Uh, this has been happening for months now. Here's the saving grace for Joe Biden. Um, Gavin Newsom stinks. I live in the state of California. He sucks. If if they expose that guy to a national audience, I think he would get scraped through the through the coals. Honestly, I, I think he's a bit of a lightweight in that sense. And beyond Newsom, there's no obvious viable replacement. It doesn't exist. Um, and so I think those are the saving graces for Biden. But again, young people hate how he's handling one of the defining wars. Um, of our lifetime, Dr. Richie. And then, of course, even when he does have wins, he's been hermetically sealed in the White House yep. and in his control room. He doesn't go out and stump for himself. So how is he supposed to gin up, um, gin up support? Yeah, and you make a point about him being sealed in the White House. I think the reason his age becomes a factor in conversation, when the truth is, um, Trump is not a spring chicken himself. They are very close in age. Um, Bernie Sanders had uh, the most enthusiastic support we saw from young people in the presidential election some years back. He's not a spring chicken either. Uh, it's the fact that these individuals, Trump and Sanders, they will go out and touch people. They talk to people. They will energize the crowd. Well, that energy is um, transferable into the overall trend of a particular candidate. Without that, there's a problem. Now, remember when Biden ran the first time, um, he did not need that because we were in the midst of what? COVID shutdown. And so he did a lot of these dynamics by way of a conference call via social media, um, as well as Zoom, et cetera. Um, so that doesn't exist now. Um, obviously, if uh, Biden would have delivered on the resume, uh, this may not be as much of an issue because people would have something to be very excited about. You have to now hold the gains that you made. But if you have not made those gains, you cannot campaign on them. All right, we'll bring you updates as it comes. Over the weekend, we learned that Rosalind Carter, former first lady of the United States, passed away in Plains, Georgia. Um, she is a remarkable, remarkable reminder of decency in America, uh, full disclosure. I work as a senior advisor to the Carter Center, very blessed by the work they continue to do globally. When President Carter talks about his wife, you always see him reminisce. It's actually a very happy and touching moment every time there's part of it. Hello, President Carter, Karen Greer, CBS 46 News. And just wondering, you touched upon it a little bit. In your illustrious career, as you said, governor here, president, even as husband, father, grandfather, is there anything or tell us, share with us what you're most proud of? And if there's anything you might have done differently or thought, maybe I wish I had not done that. Well, the best thing I ever did was marrying Rosalind. <laughs> that, that's a pinnacle of my life. And we've had 69 years together, still together. And uh, so that's the best thing that happened to me. But I think getting involved in politics and, and going up, you know, as a state senator, then governor, then president of the United States is obviously a glorious event. So, and, and we have a growing family. We have 22 
our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, uh, tw- 12 grandchildren and 10 great-grandchildren now, and they come in every year. <laughs> so, so we have a, a good and harmonious family. And, and I would say the haven for our lives have been, has been in Plains, Georgia. I, I plan to teach Sunday school this Sunday and, and, and every Sunday as long as I'm, you know, physically and mentally able in my, in my little church. And we have hundreds of visitors who come to see the curiosity of a politician teaching the Bible. So, <laughs> so I'll continue that. So I've just had a lot of blessings. Today on my radio show, we did a tribute to Mrs. Carter. We had individuals from the Carter Center, where she's co-founder of the NGO, um, call in, talk about her life, her legacy, her willingness to engage. We also had a staff meeting this morning, and one of my colleagues shared how Rosalind Carter was the one who always wanted to make sure she touched everybody, that she hugged everyone that she had an opportunity to engage. And I found this clip way back where you see that sentiment clearly. Here it is. Thank you very much. And it is wonderful to be here with you again. I see so many Familiar faces in the audience, I just want to stop and speak to every single one of you. If you had a receiving line, if I had time, <laughs> because that's what I like to do. But I'm afraid that today I'd just be able to speak to some of you as I go out up and down the aisles. But know that I care for every one of you. You've meant so much to Jimmy and to me over the years. And um, you are the reason that Jimmy Carter is president today. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts. On the campaign trail, she was called the secret weapon. She went to 40 states herself, campaigning on behalf of President Carter. She also transformed mental health advocacy in the United States of America, transforming the very laws that govern mental health in America today. She has always been a mental health activist and humanitarian in every sense of the word. Ernie Suggs, S-U-G-G-S. Writer, editor for the Atlanta Journal Constitution in their culture and race division, just a few hours ago wrote this amazing article about how Mrs. Carter transformed mental health law in the United States of America. Per the Hill, former first lady, Rosalind Carter, wife of former President Jimmy Carter, died Sunday afternoon. She was 96 years of age. The Carter Center said in a statement, the former first lady passed away just after 2 p.m. on Sunday at her home in Plains, Georgia, about two days after she entered hospice care. Quote, Rosalind was my equal partner in everything I ever accomplished. President Carter said in the statement, she gave me wise guidance and encouragement when I needed it. As long as Rosalind was in the world, I always knew somebody loved and supported me. The Carters marked their 77th wedding anniversary in July as of 2021, actually. Their marriage became the longest for a first couple in the U.S. In US history, surpassing former President George H.W. Bush, Barbara Bush's um, 73 years of marriage. Besides being a loving mother and extraordinary first lady, um, my mother was a great humanitarian in her own right, wrote Chip Carter, her son. 
in a statement. Quote, her life of service and compassion was an example for all Americans. She will be sorely missed, not only by our family, but by the many who have better mental health care and access to resources for caregiving today. All right. Um, obviously, our thoughts, prayers, and positive vibrations are with uh, the Carter family. This is never something easy. And while uh, people say, well, you can prepare, you really cannot. Not for somebody to mean so much to you. All right. Wasney, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm struck by how decent yeah. uh, she was all the way through wanting to help other people in comparison to where we are now in politics. Uh, you literally just took the words right out of my mouth, uh, watching you so beautifully and eloquently uh, speak on the former first lady's life. Uh, just the concept of a civil servant, um, the idea that you would go to work on behalf of other people in their betterment. Um, just just look at some of the clown shows we got going on in Washington yep. today. Uh, the, the idea that these people think that they're working on behalf of anybody who isn't themselves or their family members and their own personal enrichment, uh, I don't think they share that sentiment. And so to reflect on somebody who so embodied that idea, again, that you would go to work every day on behalf of the betterment of other people in your society, uh, I think is an, is an incredible example. Um, and obviously, the former first lady will be missed. Very well said. Very well said. They're going to arrest your ass, yeah, of course, right? Yeah, when he came back, what was the first thing he told you? He, he said, got out. He said, listen, he, he said, said if you get out, I'm a what? God, I was trying to tell so you listen, that before so you yeah. even started talking to me. Yeah, before I tell you. Listen I, to somebody listen. who has experience in life. If I'm putting you on game, right? Yeah. See, you still never go, mind, never, go. No, 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 I'm not so going. So you're asking I'm why? Not, I'm not going. I'm not going because you're manipulating. The same thing you say you not want to do or you went through, you're doing the exact same. And you're using all these excuses of why you're still up. So you're 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 the type of person you're gonna have to bump your head for you to learn. So when somebody who is older than you, I want to tell you right now, you're Australopithecus Cro-Magnon rock stupid. You're you're Down syndrome. You do not understand that your literacy level needs to be brought up from the Mariana Trench, and you have a issue with your intelligence. When the bites come and the ants come at me, it'll take 10,000, 100,000 of them to take me down. So that's how minuscule you are to my size, right? My stature of intelligence, character, body, and um, reverence in the world. So 1K is better for this who doesn't want to give away his millions. Are you Jewish? No, man, because I'm going to do movies, stand up, comedy, everything, all this music, whatever, e commerce. You don't understand that you're talking to like a Michelangelo of my time. Right? Like I'm a genius, Albert Einstein level history bookmaker. You're going to be forgotten like the dust in the sand when you're in the Sahara and there's 100 million, thousand billion sand particles. You're going to be one of those and I'm going to be a statue erected in gold. So understand. I, I am like this because uh, ADHD, autism, neurodivergent. I, I have ADHD you. as well. Right, but because you said that's what the mask is. I think you're a right? So that's why. You're really cool, Dream. I still want to fight you. And all of that's happened tonight, it's not going to make it like brutal marauder it's i'm not gonna be a brutal marauder i'm gonna like literally like 
Either you're gonna be paralyzed or you're gonna be dead. Like I'm serious. Okay, man. Can you're you gonna... fight? Oh, of course, yeah. I rel. I yeah. apologize. Oh my god, I know. I'm I sorry him, for I met him tonight. Uh, madness, right? I'll put up the picture full mass. Let me do my best to give you the background. So voice actor Nicholas Cantu on the left is known for his roles as Leonardo in the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles film. And Gumball of Cartoon Networks, the amazing world of Gumball. He has been accused of serious misconduct by popular Twitch streamer and YouTuber Clay Dream on the right. The the recorded incident of an Uber ride the two shared has now sparked more scrutiny. But how and why did this video end up online? All right, according to the narrative, all started on November 15th. When a parody account took a dig at Dream, okay, sparking a fiery exchange. Nicholas jumped into the ring, mistakenly engaging with the parody account. Accusations of pedophilia and shocking revelations followed. Dream now wanted back down, fired back with serious allegations. He accused Nicholas of physical assault, racist. And racist slurs, and even shared screenshots of private messages where Nicholas said, I'm sorry, blaming being drunk and high for his behavior. In response, Nicholas seemingly admitted to the physical assault and apologized for his behavior during the Uber ride, but denied using racist slurs. Uh, The drama intensified as Clay exposed more alleged text, revealing a tangled web. Of accusation. So things took a new turn on November 18th when Dream posted the video of Nicholas berating both the Uber driver and himself. Uh, the video showcased uh, the behavior, including offensive language and insults directed at both the driver and Dream. Clavin uh, countered uh, the claim of generously tipping the Uber driver, providing context to the situation. He alleged that the voice actor not only assaulted him once, but attempted to do so again. After the Uber ride. Um, Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, I don't know where to start, but I will say this uh, first off. Okay. Sir, you liken yourself to a genius. Okay. You believe you are smart. Good for you. You should believe in yourself. If you have intellect, Your job is to make sure that people around you feel empowered, that they are strong, that they are encouraged, not to make them feel small. Because see, in times like this, when you seek to make others feel small, you only reveal yourself as small. That is all you accomplish. Um, I do hope that this becomes a, a reflection point. You're young enough to become an ally rather than an enemy. Uh, so take this for what it is. It's a big ass life lesson. All right. Um, 
Wozni, I guess, I guess I'm one of those ants that he was talking about hmm. coming at him. Yeah, I, I watched that video and I and I see a young man who's who's hurting, who is clearly going through some kind of episode. And I would hope first and foremost that, you know, we just talked about the passing of Ros- Rosalind Carter and the, the the advocacy that she's done for mental health care. Um, I would hope that this young brother go out and seek the proper mental health care because he's clearly going through um, an episode there. And then I would just hope that he would find it within him to, you know, seek knowledge and understanding um, of his fellow man and, and just do better going forward. You know, I think he's pretty young. I, I happen to think people can be redeemed. And yes. uh, I, I would hope that he could see see the value in putting in the work um, to be not a, such a terrible little runt. Um, also, I used to watch the Ninja Turtles growing up, man. I, if I even thought about picking this thing back up, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Man, listen, it was one of my faves as a child, right? So good. Uh, hell of a backstory, Master Splinter and yes. Shredder and everybody, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I concur with you. Uh, this is that point where you acknowledge, uh, you pivot. And you utilize whatever negative energy may come to you to create a positive outlook for the rest of your life. This is an opportunity to do so. Um, it's actually a gift in disguise. Accept it as a gift. It will be one. Or I'm calling the cops Call now. Them. Call them, miss. I hate your- Get the hell off my land. You close up the box. When the cops get here, the if you call them, you you're get getting the hell off my You're land. getting arrested for threatening to shoot me. You realize that, right? You are criminally trespassing on no, my land. No, we're locating you're underground facilities. With somebody's box that isn't even and that company. We recorded you saying that too, so we can use that when the cops get here. So call them. We under we locate underground facilities, miss. This is our job. You're supposed to show ID. I can show you my ID, but you called you show me, me ID you now. called me too many names. I don't names. allow criminal trespassing no, on we'll my land. You, you show me ID, both of you, no, or you are gone. It, nope, at this point we're showing it to the cops, because you were rude and you threatened us. Okay? Yeah, you threatened us. With you problems. just get the hell off my land You threatened now. to shoot us. Get the hell off my land. And we'll tell you, and we'll tell you. You move on. I'm going to figure out my licensing company. I'm sorry you feel that way, miss, but it's not us personally. I'm busy. I don't have time. Call the cops, call the cops. You won't show ID. Call the cops. The people in this area have the right to see ID of the people on the land. You get lost. We're way past that. We're way past that now. Yeah, just call the cops. At this point, call the cops. (laughs) Yeah, um, put up the picture for a mask. We have some interesting dynamics here. According to the narrative, she's speaking with utility workers. These utility workers are finding or locating um, facilities that are underground, sometimes wiring and other elements. This is quite normative. Um, Typically, you are able to spot them readily. And I understood the response. Basically, the response was, listen, I'm not showing you anything at this point. You have threatened to end my life. You have called me other names. So that energy is going to get a response of non-cooperation, 
Okay, so that was basically their response. But I want you to pay attention to the shoes here. Look at the feet work, all right? Do you see her shoes? First of all, what are those? Secondly, one is a darker color and the other one is white. Um, I can only imagine the reason why her shoes are possibly mismatched, possibly. Um, it's because she wanted to hurry up and get outside in order to do this engagement that you have seen. Um, not much information is available about this particular Karen, nor why she has on mismatched shoes. That is simply my conclusion. Um, Wisely, why does she have on mixed match shoes? That that is a gr- great question. One that I, I I'm struggling to find the answers to. A woman of her age, uh, my my niece used to do this back when she was two and a half. <laughs> right, um, she purpose. thought it was fun. Yeah, right. to, to wear two different color shoes. What I was struck by was her referring to it as my land, this land. She really sound like a a colonist, a settler. Uh, She must have sang, this land is our land. A lot growing up, Dr. Richie. Right. Uh, When she said that, I'm like, wait a minute, ma'am, you basically had a cul-de-sac. I I don't understand what you mean. It's like, all of this does not belong to you. Uh, What are we doing? What are we doing? Good point. Okay, Um, got something for you. Double dose. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a and Sunday? You're going to feel great! Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. I don't know what? And that means what? I'm in public. You could lose that job, Miami Dade. What's your name and badge number? You don't want to tell me? You don't want to tell me that name and badge number? Look at this one, y'all. Look at this one. This is this one. You, you give me a what? No, 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 no. We, I do, I do bad policing. I do this. I do this. I do this. Okay. The lady was sitting beside me. That is NFL legend Warren Sapp having. A Karen incident, according to the narrative, happened to him. Put up the picture full of masks. This is interesting. Um, I am asking Warren Sapp to send me additional context. I would like to confirm the details. Here's what we know so far. We know that she claimed, based on the video, uh, that she is Miami-Dade police. Now. Here's the problem I have with that, Miami Dade. Unless Warren Sapp has done something against the law, why would you say you are Miami Dade police? Unless you are attempting to abuse your authority. That's what we would call that. For example, when we've covered police officers being pulled over or police chief, having an interaction with law enforcement. And the chief says, hey, I'm the police chief of somewhere, somewhere, Mississippi. Well, that has nothing to do with this DUI you're about to get, right? And we have clearly seen the abuse of power there. So why are you identifying yourself as a police officer 
if Warren Sapp did nothing against the law. That's number one. Number two, when he decided to record and question your alleged abuse of authority, you also indicated that you would have him on the no fly list. The no fly, for what? We still would like to know what illegal act has taken place, all right? Once again, put up the picture. And to Miami Dade, I would like to confirm, is this one of yours? So I got two inquiries. Confirmation, if this is actually one of yours or not. And two, I need Warren Sapp to send me the rest of the details. All right, there we have it, Warren Sapp, American, former American football star, defensive tackle, played national football 13 seasons, primarily Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, he said he does this. I, I didn't know he did the whole, you know, anti-corrupt cop thing. Uh, but that's great. We need more people who are anti-bad cops in the world. Wise thoughts. You know, whenever I see something like this, honestly, Dr. Richie, I'm happy that it is somebody like Warren Sapp, who is famous, uh, well-connected, well-positioned to not be intimidated by somebody like this. I, I just think, man, if this was somebody else who wasn't, didn't have the stature of a Warren Sapp, who for the mm. audience members out there, he's literally one of the greatest football players ever um, yes. at his position. At the University of Miami, we're talking about national championships. This yeah. guy is a legend, won Super Bowls. He's a Hall of Famer. He's he's literally one of the greatest football players in the history of that game. Um, and so, yeah, he can't be intimidated by somebody who's calling him a cop. But I would just hope, man, you know, somebody else who encounters this nonsense out in the wild um, is, 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 is well positioned to defend themselves against it. Yep, there you go. All right, once again, I am seeking more information. Just send the information indisputable. The man who was exonerated, exonerated after being falsely accused, convicted of killing Malcolm X, sues for millions. All right, put up the picture full mass. Um, we have been covering this as the story has developed over time. So, 85 year old uh, Muhammad Aziz, who was exonerated for the murder of the civil rights activist Malcolm X, is now suing the FBI on allegations the agency hid evidence of the actual killers and proof of his actual innocence. Now he's suing, but this stuff is already basically on record. As Atlanta Black Star reports, he claims the agency engineered his cover-up, uh, this cover-up to protect and preserve, quote, the scope, nature, and activities of its counterintelligence operations while weakening the civil rights Movement, COINTELPRO. The $40 million lawsuit filed by Mr. Mohammed Aziz alleges the FBI, including then Director J. Edgar Hoover, intentionally caused the presentation of false evidence against, concealed a trove of evidence, and orchestrated fundamentally unfair legal proceedings against Mr. Mohammed Aziz. At Hoover's behest, the FBI's counterintelligence program, also known as COINTELPRO, enabled agents to infiltrate US political and social movements, completely unconstitutional, by the way. Hoover's aim was to, quote, 
expose, disrupt, misdirect, discredit, and otherwise neutralize black activist groups, according to one decades old FBI report. The suit also claims the FBI carried out concerted efforts alongside the New York Police Department to suppress the integrity of the investigation into Malcolm X's murder and exchanged a network of information and evidence. Muhammad Aziz, a US Navy veteran and a 26 year old father of two at the time was arrested for Malcolm X's death alongside another accused killer, Khalil Islam. The civil rights leader was murdered on the 1st, on the 21st, excuse me, of February 1965. He was preparing to give a speech at the Autobahn Ballroom. This was in upper Manhattan when it happened. So Mr. Aziz spent 20 years in prison for this false conviction. Mr. Islam served 22 years, but died in prison in 2009. Islam's estate filed what's called a companion suit, $40 million lawsuit. Their lawsuits claim both men were attractive targets to pin the crime on because of their affiliation with the Nation of Islam. And also because they did not have many alibi witnesses. They had some, but it wasn't as if a whole crowd could vouch for their whereabouts, all right? Uh, Put them up. In a hearing, okay, to vacate their convictions, then DA Cyrus R. Vance Jr. claimed FBI employees and the NYPD, quote, this is coming from the then chief prosecutor, quote, intentionally concealed. But damn, that sounds like a crime, does it not? Intentionally concealed records of witnesses some of whom were FBI informants. Those things would have had to come to the forefront as evidence during a trial. Who failed to identify Mr. Islam and implicated other subjects and suspects, end quote. All right, Mujahid Abdul Halim, AKA Thomas Hagen, one of the men who shot Malcolm X testified in 1966. That Aziz and Islam had nothing to do with the murder. Malcolm X was killed in 1965. This man said these individuals your government has arrested had nothing to do with. Halim confessed he and four other men were involved in the fatal shooting, but never identified his co-conspirators. However, in the lawsuit, It alleges that the FBI decided to conceal the evidence, pointing to another suspect named William Bradley, who fired a shotgun blast at Malcolm X because the agency had a, quote, significant ongoing relationship with Bradley. Aziz and Islam both told police they were at home at the time with their families. Aziz was home recovering from a leg injury that he sustained after being beaten by police a month before the murder of Malcolm X. The complaint also alleges that the FBI coerced witnesses into giving false and materially misleading statements to prosecutors in their sworn testimony and claims that the weapon Halim used to shoot Malcolm X was recovered by an FBI informant named Ronald Timberlake. 
Timberlake reportedly delivered the gun to the FBI. And agents then handed it off to the NYPD. New York City and the state of New York did award $26 million to Aziz and Islam's estate to settle lawsuits over misconduct from police and Manhattan district attorneys in their convictions. Okay. Uh, payment not nearly enough, obviously. Okay. You took so much away. I'm talking about the governments involved, not just one, multiple agencies involved in order to pin the murder of Malcolm X to two individuals who had nothing to do with it, all right? Now, you got some money allocated. There's a suit now for 40 million with a more robust and complete narrative of what actually happened. Names are highlighted here. When will the people who were involved, some of them are still alive, when are they going to Mm. be indicted? Everything cited is illegal, all of it. Even when the DA stood up and publicly proclaimed that the FBI did this, which by the way was a bold move, that DA did not engage the FBI and arrest them. It takes more than one or two people to pull off something this massive and this corrupt. It takes an entire culture of individuals working in coordination with the other, multiple agencies, multiple governmental operations, multiple governmental leaders who were involved in this massive and high ranking cover up and crime. All right, Waz, thoughts here. Uh, man, I just hope this brother and his family and their estates um, are able to get some level of restitution. I think it's important for folks to understand that Elijah Muhammad, the nation of Islam, uh, despite what their reputation is in mainstream media, this is a conservative black organization. And never be surprised when black conservatives, black as they may be, are in collaboration with the authorities to stamp out and put down black dissidents and black radicals. Um, this, this is, it's no different, um, from what happened to Malcolm X. Uh, this was a collaboration between the state and the very top of the organization of the nation of Islam. There's been incredible reporting around this. This isn't rumor or conjecture. This was collaboration between the FBI and the state. And you know, what I would tell people now is that the state has realized that freaking violently murdering dissidents um, is bad for business and a terrible look. They now just buy them off. Man, um, the purchase power of the American government is quite massive. Uh, And if you're willing to sell out, that means you have a price. And now they just have to figure out what it is. Very unfortunate. We've seen good leaders become corrupt because of that process. A police chief pulls out a gun on a woman, um, gets arrested. He's charged now, put up the picture full mask. Hell of a story, hell of a situation. Here's the background, Arkansas, Parkin' Police Chief Robert Thomas Lee is now facing assault charges after making alarming death threats. Lee was arrested at 2 a.m. last Thursday on suspicion of aggravated assault on a family or household member. 
and first degree terroristic threatening. So this is according to K8 News, quote, officers were called to a home in the 500 block of East McAuley around 1.42 AM. This was on November 16th regarding Thomas, who was identified as the park and police chief. Quote, when West Memphis and West Memphis is Arkansas, there's West Memphis in Arkansas. When West Memphis police arrived at the scene, the victim said she came home to find Thomas standing outside the home intoxicated. She told officers that a few minutes after speaking with Thomas, he got upset and started throwing out her belongings. There's an incident report, let's put it up. So according to the incident report obtained by WREG3 News, quote, she told me Thomas then got his gun and put it to her head and told her he was about to kill her, end quote. Officer Mason People stated in the report, the victim said when she pushed the gun away, Thomas began choking her, so she bit him to get him off of her. According to the report, Thomas then called another woman and said, come get this B word. I'm about to kill her, end quote. When the second woman arrived, his sister, she told officers that Thomas started threatening her, saying he was going to shoot her kill his wife, then kill his own dad tomorrow. Thomas was bonded out of jail just an hour and a half later at about 3.30 a.m. A court date has not yet been set. Local resident says the news is shocking. Quote, I've met him personally. And to me, he was a real nice guy. It's a shock to me. Um, you know, this is a hell of a thing. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine the fear pumping through the mind, the body of individuals who are trying to calm down. This is a family member, all right? No matter what, police chief or not, this is a family member. So you have a particular relationship that's not a cop-citizen relationship. This is a family member, but this family member has a gun, knows how to use it very well, and is probably, probably, going to spin a narrative to try to get away with it afterwards, if it happens that way, okay? So all of these things are going through your mind. But at the end of the day, when you are a police officer, especially one who has not simply rank, but you're the top guy, there is nobody on top of you. You're the chief of police. Your leadership matters as they say, on the field and off the field. Obviously, according to the narrative, this person, this chief was intoxicated. We have seen that intoxication literally lets down some of the barriers that you may have normally had. But the expression, the sentiment internal is there. Um, Sir, I will suggest to you, you may have a problem. You may have a drinking problem. Uh, And I would recommend that you get help for that. If that's the case, uh, you could have possibly ended the life of everybody you say you love. All right. Um, Thankfully, nobody was shot. He was arrested. Justice will roll as it is supposed to, at least according to the current report. Um, Hell of a thing. And they needed to call the police. I saw some online chatter about why would they call the police on a man? How can you not call the police on him? 
How can you not? This man could have killed everybody. All right, Wash thoughts here. I just want to give some acknowledgement to that sister. She showed him incredible bravery yeah. under the circumstances, man. Um, so kudos to her for her resilience in that harrowing situation. But, you know, unfortunately, Dr. Richie, as you know, we can't be surprised when the cops behave as if they're above the law. Because oftentimes, especially in these small towns, a police chief, he's he's yeah. judge, executioner, jury. He is above the law. And so, you know, just the idea that he acted this cavalierly in plain view of the public, um, his own sister could come around and he would threaten to murder his own sister. I'm sorry. Unfortunately, I, I can't be that surprised by this abhorrent, dangerous and criminal behavior. And so, yeah, yeah man, that's the sad truth, Dr. Richie. Yeah. And the thing is, when you look at his charge docket, they gave him a break. They gave him a break. They could have charged him with so with so many more felonies, um, but they charged him with um, basically two uh, very serious crimes. Uh, we're going to follow this. We're going to see exactly how the wheels of justice continue to permeate beyond the moment. Innocent man was incarcerated 24 years, did not do the crime. He has now been paid 17.5 million, put it up for a mass. Another miscarriage of justice, George Bale, a black man who was wrongfully convicted of murder in 1999. As uh, he was sentenced to life in prison for something he never did. Life in prison without the possibility of parole. He'd spent 24 years of his life in prison before he was exonerated. He has now been awarded $17.5 million in a settlement from the city of New York. Bale, on the left of this picture, was wrongly convicted along with two other black men, Gary Johnson on the right and Rowan Boat in the center. For the 1996 murder of Eric Epstein, the owner of a check cashing establishment. This was in East Amherst, New York. They were all convicted of killing Charles Davis, an off-duty cop who provided security for the establishment. However, their convictions were overturned just a few years ago in 2021. So lawsuits for Boats and Johnson cases are still pending. New York Supreme Court Appellate Division Judge Joseph A. Zayas threw out the three men's convictions, condemned the prosecutors on the case for withholding evidence that cast doubt on their guilt and pointed to other suspects. The judge also noted the prosecutors made false statements during the trial. These three defendants were undoubtedly wronged by the DA's office misconduct, wrote the judge, adding that the prosecutors completely abdicated its truth-seeking role in these cases. You're supposed to be disbarred and possibly charged with a crime for that. According to the New York Times, Bell's attorney, Richard Emery, says the settlement is the highest sum New York City has ever paid for a wrongful conviction. The attorney also noted that his client had been facing the death penalty for the capital case. Quote, it recognizes the horrible suffering that a young innocent man went through facing the death penalty for three years and a life without parole for 21 more, said Emory. Emory also told the Amsterdam News that the settlement reflected the torture Bell endured. Recognition from this settlement 
that George's torture was unimaginably severe and horrifying vindicates him and his never ending quest for justice. Uh, put her up. Bell, Bolt, and Johnson were exonerated after DA in Queens, Melinda Katz, created a conviction integrity unit, something that every single DA's office should have. This unit researched past cases after she was elected in 2019. Big ups to her leadership. Bell was also awarded $4.4 million from New York State for the wrongful conviction. Bell and Johnson confessed to the crime after being threatened by law enforcement and recanted later, while Bolt always maintained his innocence. One of the detectives on the case, um, Louis Pia, reportedly tore one of Bell's braids from his scalp during the interrogation while saying he would put him in the effing hospital. Pia allegedly pressed a hockey stick against the then 19-year-old's neck and threatened to use his head as a hockey puck. After Bell posed the question if the law enforcement officer's tactics were police brutality, Detective um, Richard Sika allegedly said, quote, no, this is how we get things done, end quote, according to the lawsuit. The officers also allegedly grabbed, choked, and deprived Johnson of sleep to get him to confess. They took advantage of my mental state, Johnson told CBS News. Their tactic was just to keep me up until I was just that mentally fatigued that I was perplexed, he said, adding that the officers would bang on the table as soon as he drifted off. Now, once again, everybody involved in that should face an indictment, trial, and conviction. Everybody, everyone who oversaw it, everyone who supervised it, everyone who did it, right? Here's the other thing. Do you think it's the only time it happened? Do you think it is the first time they employed such a strategy with precision? They knew exactly how to do it, psychological manipulation at work, flawlessly executed. Of course not, not the first time. These are practiced tactics over and over again. So how many people are sitting in prison right now because of those tactics that are illegal, unconstitutional, and corrupt? All right, dear brother, thoughts here. Just the idea that we're seeing these type of police tactics in the good old red, white, and blue uh, is mind-boggling, Dr. Richie. This is stuff we hear about in Banana Republic, authoritarian regimes ripping out this man's hair, his braids. Uh, this is beyond abuse. This is torture. Yeah. This is illegal. This is criminal. These guys deserve to be put on trial for these crimes. Um, and Again, the money is nice, guys, but folks have to understand it's not just the time that you lose not being with loved ones and living a life of freedom. It's the abhorrent conditions yeah. of New York State penitentiary facilities. Here we go again, put her up full mass. Another school teacher accused of inappropriate, illicit actions with a student. Hell of a thing, South Carolina, Reagan Anderson, a former teacher, was arrested Wednesday for preying on a 17-year-old high school football player. The 27-year-old married mother of two is facing two counts of sexual battery 
on a Holly Hill Academy student for the alleged abuse. That's according to WCSC News. The first two allegations occurred based on the allegations occurred on October 22nd on Bunch Ford Road. That's according to an arrest warrant obtained by the local news. The second incident happened in a parking lot on October 28th outside of a pizza hut. Anderson also allegedly sent the teen nude photos on Snapchat. That's evidence. Um, rumors soon began swirling, and the school contacted the sheriff's office on November 8th. The judge set Anderson's bond at a whopping $2,500 and told her not to have any contact with the victim or his family. She was released with a GPS monitor the same day. The statement from the victim's mother, quote, a trusted coach, teacher, and friend that abused our trust and violated her oath as an educator. She has ruined our son's life. The teen's mother read from a statement in court. He should be 100% focused on being a fun-loving, football-playing young man. But this predator has robbed him of that ability. No young quarterback or athlete is safe in our community if this woman is free. The outraged mother continued. Statement from the school. Holly Healy Academy was made aware last week of allegations regarding an inappropriate relationship between a staff member and upper school student. Head of school Brandy Melanaw wrote in a letter sent to parents. The administration immediately contacted law enforcement. The statement says that Anderson no longer works at the school and the administration is cooperating with the Orangeburg County Sheriff's Office. Based on that bond, ladies and gentlemen, um, the judge who said the bond, that judge doesn't take it as seriously as it is. Uh, I want you to think about this. What if, if a male teacher would have engaged in something the exact same as this allegation? Do you think they get to go home on a $2,500 bond, $2,500 after engaging in such inappropriate relationships, sexual assault on a student under their care in the school system? Hell no. Counseling is likely going to be required. Feelings are possibly involved, hearts broken, and then the scrutiny of the public inside of a moment like this in a small community can be detrimental. So we are glad that the mother sees it for what it is and is trying to make sure the proclamation of how extreme it is is echoed. And so we do wish them well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Miss Victoria Snitstar, Sar Churchill, commentator, Young Voices, um, also an expert political um, analyst, among other things. Good to have you on the show. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on with you today, Dr. Richie. Great to be on with you. Great to have you. Um, we're going to chop it up about Trump's alleged proposed um, immigration policy which I find to be very dangerous, um, extremely bigoted in nature. But I don't want to presume what you know or believe about that proposed policy. So if you would give us your sentiment and I would then opine. 
Sure. I have a couple of thoughts I want to start off with. So personally, in my opinion, I believe that America has become less safe, less secure, and more dangerous in the past almost three years that Joe Biden has been president of the United States. When we look at things like the numbers of illegal migrants that have crossed into this country, that number now surpasses 9 million. And this isn't just a talking point that we're seeing from Republicans. This is a reality that is being lived on uh, across by Americans from all political stripes, uh, Things like a physical barrier on the southern border are actually pulling at historic highs among public opinion. So this is something that Americans, whether Democrats, Republicans, independents want to see. And even folks like Mayor Eric Adams of New York are going out and saying that what is going on currently cannot keep going. And so we have to look at what are the alternatives and the alternatives are things that President Trump has presented. Um, you know, it is limiting numbers of both legal and illegal migrants. It is doing things like rerouting some of our federal spending from the military to border security. And in my mind, that makes perfect sense because I personally see border security as national security. Okay. All right. Um, so you agree with the proposal uh, to create uh, basically concentration camps to do a massive roundup of undocumented individuals in America? I think that term is definitely charged with a lot of preconceived notions that people have. But when you look at it, things that like camps that are currently on the border, I think you could use that to describe them as well. And they exist under the Biden administration. When you look at ten, well, my, my question is, do you agree with Trump's version of this, which is obviously much more um, pronounced and massive? Uh, and they are camps, regardless of how you choose to contextualize it. They would actually be camps. Uh, camps are encampments. Uh, so these would be. Uh, encampments throughout the United States in multiple states. Do you agree with that plan or disagree with that plan? Again, I think no policy is perfect, but I think that this policy moves us in the right direction. And I do think that such camps already exist in the United States, even under the yeah. current administration. All right, so let's talk about undocumented immigrants in the United States of America. I do not say the terminology illegal. I do not believe any human being is illegal. Um, the undocumented dynamic in this country is such a hypocrisy in my opinion, and here's why. 98% of individuals that come here undocumented come here for what, Ms. Victoria? I believe that they are pursuing economic opportunities. That is correct, they're pursuing economic opportunity. And the reason they're pursuing economic opportunities because countries like America take advantage of the disproportional rate of economy from a country like, let's say, Mexico. And how labor provides benefit for a country like the United States of America. So because of that extreme contrast, in order to make a living in Mexico, it becomes very difficult under the regime and the what we call global economic systems that the West leads. And so you have this migration. This migration takes place because of a cause and effect. The number one attractor to the United States is the fact that employers are willing to hire undocumented labor at a damn near bottom line cost that would be what? Less than $5, sometimes less than $7 an hour, etc. So why is it that when undocumented workers get arrested, or when we talk about it in the narrative or the context of law, that the people who hire them, the CEOs, the hiring manager, the HR director, the recruiter. Why is it that we never talk about them breaking the law? And why is it that there's no real emphasis under any administration to go after those 
who actually are the number one reason why people come here undocumented. Why do you think that is? Well, personally, I believe that the number one reason why people come here, as you alluded to, is an economic reason. But I believe that the driver is different. I believe that the driver is the reality of the economic crises that are faced in socialist countries, which many of these immigrants come from. And then that, in fact, is when they compare and contrast with the opportunities that are afforded to them in the United well, States. Well, that's the talking point, choose- uh, Ms. Victoria. And all due respect, I cannot solve uh, a policy dynamic in another country. They don't take my tax money. But America does. America takes my tax dollars. They're accountable to my opinion. I get to say something here and I get to hopefully guide policy here. They take my money, they take your money. So the question is, do you agree that those who own the companies, hiring the individuals, breaking the same federal statute that says it is illegal to work undocumented. Remember the subsection says it's also illegal to hire those who are undocumented. You do agree, one, it is illegal, and two, there should be an emphasis on the CEOs and the hiring practices of these individuals in America, correct? Yes, I believe that any corporation you know, is forced to comply with things like E-Verify, which many do. And I believe that, again, these are not victimless crimes. If people choose to hire undocumented workers, they are actually taking away opportunities from Americans who are willing and able to have various jobs and then move themselves up the economic ladder. I believe that that opportunity should be afforded to anybody that wants to work hard in this country. Okay. And yeah, right. and yes. Well, let, let me ask you this. So we all we do always kind of go to this employment dynamic. Um, do you know the number one job killer in America? You know what it is? I would say it's probably the prevalence of large government programs that encourage people to not work instead of work. And we've seen- uh, No, I- ma'am. The facts, uh, you, you should actually check some facts before you say talking points to me. The number one, this is this is not a game to me. I don't use talking points. I use actual data. The number one job killer in America is automation. It is uh, taking a cashier, a person, away from a job and replacing that person with a machine. Not only is it the number one job killer in America, those jobs don't come back. They're gone forever. So if this is important to you because you care about Americans working, which I do, I care about Americans working. Then why are we never, why is it never a policy discussion about automation in America, the number one job killer? We go, we pivot back to a talking point rather than an actual thoughtful discussion about the reality of automation killing jobs. Sure, I think that that is a very sufficient part of our labor force. I just know, for example, I was in IHOP just the other day and they had robots busing meals to tables from the kitchen wow. where they had live human beings working in the kitchens. They were working together with an automated workforce and they were providing customer service. I believe that that is the way forward. That is the way that innovation has always prepared this country and many other capitalist nations forward. Hmm. And so even if certain jobs are taken away, you are still creating other jobs. You know, for example, somebody else now has to come out, maybe not from within that company, say, you know, IHOP for that example. They have to go in and they have to hire somebody third party to service those machines. That job didn't exist until that robot was created to do that job. And so even though a certain job may be being taken away because of automation, the overall volume of labor and of jobs that are needed, I don't believe really actually changes. People no, might that's, it, that's incorrect. Facts don't bear that out, madam. 
Madam, you're off by millions, uh, millions. And I understand your point. Your point is well received and I do get it, but you're incorrect on the numbers. So while you do have enhanced service industry as it relates to tech, um, those particular jobs that are more um, technologically skill heavy uh, do not require the same number of individuals inside of the workforce uh, in order to uh, maintain those particular functions. So you're still dealing with a net negative of jobs that leave our country by way of being in the country. In addition to that, the no matter what calculation, the number one reality about undocumented workers in America is that they contribute way more to the economic systems than they ever have dreamed of taking away. The most conservative estimate from Republican or conservative think tanks is that you have a net positive of over 10 million. Okay, that's from the most conservative estimation. Uh, and I think those numbers get underrepresented in narratives that are somehow antithetical uh, to those who are undocumented in America. Do you not agree that there has to be more of a nuanced conversation than putting folk, rounding them up and putting them inside of basically concentration camps in America? You don't think that creates more of a nightmare? I believe that we do need comprehensive immigration reform. This is something I talk about on a number of programs that I appear on. That includes both legal and illegal. But the number one step that we have to do is stop overwhelming the system, which means first shutting down the southern border. Then it means taking care of the people that are already here today, giving them pathway to citizenship if they have that. But to me, that means doing it the legal way. It does not mean having them cut in front of the line. This is something that I've personally experienced from the other side. My family came here in the year 2000, and we know that when my family was going through the system, we were going through it at the same time when I believe it's two out of the most five egregious immigration amnesty bills were signed, which overwhelmed the system. The system does need reform. You do need things like more caseworkers, more federal judges. But this right. does not mean that these people have to have an alternative path because they have been here for a certain time. I believe that the pathway should be reimagined again for everybody that wants to come to this country. But those that are here illegally do not deserve any kind of special treatment. And again, especially because personally, somebody that is a legal immigrant, somebody whose family lived here for over a decade, paying taxes, contributing to programs that people that are illegal, for example, benefit from. I believe that legal migrants are actually at the biggest disadvantage because there's, you know, like I said, in my personal case, a decade plus of whether we were paying the taxes. But like you and I today, we couldn't actually contribute and have a voice in our politics, in our democracy. And that's why I think first, we have to address the legal avenues that somebody can come to this country. And that is the way that we should be encouraging them to come, but not the illegal way that over 9 million individuals have come since the start of the Biden administration. You know, we say 9 million. Um, there are others that estimated to be over 20. Uh, and the reality is nobody knows the actual number. These are all guesstimations, okay? Every single one of the numbers proclaimed is a guess. It's not a fact. Uh, but the reality is this. We talk about immigration in the context of us and them. Uh, it is us and us. We're all human beings. We're all people. And we understand cause and effect. If America wanted to solve this problem, they would do things that made sense. Like number one, going after the CEOs who create the problem. Number two, trying to ally with nations um, and remedy the forces that create the outpouring of uh, people leaving. 
the nation in order to seek economic opportunity. America fights wars claiming they're the good guys and they must be involved in this conflict. But what about the economic conflict? What about the corrupt, the corruption conflict that causes a domestic issue in America? They don't seem to be willing to correct those. And while we're on the subject of habitual violators as relates to immigration law, who or what country is the number one violator of overstayed visas in America? Do you know that answer? Uh, my guess would probably be India. It's actually Canada. Canada, Canadians are the number one violators for overstay visas in America. Have you ever heard of a um, narrative or you know a potential raid to round up Canadians? I have not heard of a proposal why? like that. But one thing that I am aware of is but actually why? Field. Victoria, why? Why? They're violating law, they're violating immigration law. Why? Have you never heard of Canadians being rounded up in this nation? I have never heard of that, probably for the same reason that you never have, because you don't have trains of Canadians lining up at the northern border to cross into this country illegally like you do at our southern border. And at the southern border, I believe that it is a sheer mass of individuals from a variety of countries. However, that total number, you think it's the number. is bigger. You think it's just the number? I've always tried to base my arguments in facts and okay. figures that have solid data behind them. So I always tend to look at the numbers when I'm forming my own opinions and arguments. Well, my point to you is that not only have you never heard that Canadians are the number one violators of overstayed visas in America, which makes them what? Undocumented, makes them in the country, being, being a country illegally. You're not going to hear about some massive law enforcement apparatus coming after them. Uh, and that is because the narrative to white Canadians do not, that narrative does not fit like it fits to brown people who are trying to work to make ends meet. All right, I'll let you have the last word, go ahead. Again, I just want to say that Trump's proposals, if he is the presumptuous Republican nominee, and if you look at polling that shows he is beating Biden, especially in a number of swing states, these policies will be enacted into law. And I think that they are going to make this country safer and more secure about a year from now plus when the next president is inaugurated if it is somebody other than Joe Biden. Okay, um, last question. What demographic in America has the lowest crime rate among them? I think that it is people that come here to this country wanting to make it better. So I believe that it is probably your legal immigrants who recognize the value of laws and have honored them from day one that they stepped on American soil. All right, it's actually undocumented individuals. They have per capita percentage wise the lowest offense rate than any other demographic in America. Just you can check the facts on that one. I do appreciate you being on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. All right. Always remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.